Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There you can find out more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. An online polling firm recently did a survey in the United States and discovered that 7 out of 10 Americans made New Year's resolutions moving into 2018. So that means if we're an average American crowd sitting here this morning, that 7 out of 10 people on your row made some type of a New Year's resolution. And they went on in their survey to outline the top 15 or 20 New Year's resolutions, and there were three that tied for the first spot. They all got the same amount of responses, and they were tied for the first spot, and these are not going to be any surprise to you. They are eat better, exercise more, and for those of us that go to the gym regularly, we're ready for you to get through January, burn out, go home, get off our equipment. Amen? (laughs) Number three, save more money, right? So those are the three that tied for the top. Eat better, exercise more, save more money. And then the two right after those that were tied was get more sleep. And then the last one was read more. And as I was reading this article and fascinated by all the responses to this question, what, what do you want to change in the new year? I began to think, what, what, what really is a new year's resolution? And so I, I Googled that and Wikipedia gives us a great definition of a new year's resolution. I want you to look at it here on the screen. Wikipedia says that a New Year's resolution is a tradition in which a person (coughs) resolves to change an undesired trait or behavior to accomplish a personal goal or otherwise improve their life. Think about a couple of those phrases. Resolves to change. And then this last one, to improve their life. When you think about a new year and New Year's resolutions, a New Year's resolution is really all about us recognizing something in our lives that we wish were different, something that we want to change that can make, we hope, our lives better. So a lot of people around this time of year, they start making these lists, all these New Year's resolutions, all these things that they want to change about themselves to get more out of life in 2018 than they got in 2017. Now, what's, what's interesting is that the single thing that can really change our lives didn't even make the list in the online survey. As a matter of fact, not one person surveyed identified what I believe to be the most important factor when it comes to experiencing change and transformation in your life that really improves life for us. Didn't even make the list. I want to put it up here on the screen. Here's what it is. Time spent pursuing God's presence. The only thing 
that can really, from the inside out, bring lasting change and transformation is time spent pursuing the presence of God. Because here's the spiritual reality. Everything changes in the presence of God. Everything. It's been taught to us in Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. You see men and women in Scripture that go into the presence of God, and when they go into the presence of God, everything changes. It changes. But it's not just true in Scripture. We've seen it fleshed out in each of our lives as we walk with God. Everything changes in the presence of God. It's why a friend of mine, Bill Eliff, who you're going to get to hear in a couple of weeks, we've got several guests that are going to be coming in and speaking in our church. One of them is a man named Bill Eliff. Listen to what he said. More can happen in five minutes of God's manifest presence than in 50 years of our best human efforts. More can happen in five minutes alone with God then I can accomplish in 50 years of willpower and determination and commitment. More can be accomplished in five minutes in the presence of God. Do you believe that? If you believe that, say amen. Oh, be careful. I'm setting you up. Because I want to ask you a question. How important, how important in your daily life is time spent pursuing the presence of God. I think all of us would say, I mean, you're at church. We're, 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 all of us, oh, yeah, it's really important. Now, here's what I'm, I'm not asking if you think it's important. I'm asking you to evaluate your life, to look at your schedule, my schedule, and do an examination today. Am I really giving priority? daily to time pursuing the presence of God. Listen, if we really want to see change, if we really want to see transformation, everything changes in the presence of God. So when we as pastors, when our pastoral team began to pray and seek the Lord about how to begin this new year, January 1st was a Monday. So we decided to start January 1st on that Monday and set aside 21 days leading up to a weekend where we're going to have a special set of gather time services that you're going to hear about. You've already heard a little bit in the video. We'll tell you more later. But, but 21 days that we've set aside really seeking to focus on pursuing God's presence. And we're going to focus on two specific areas. This weekend... I'm going to be focusing on what it looks like to pursue God's presence daily. We're going to talk about every one of us, our need to spend time alone with God daily. At Hope, one, of our, one, one part of our strategy is what we call God time. And we encourage every follower of Jesus to set aside time daily to be alone with God. Why? Because everything else in our life rises and falls based on time alone with the Father. My own life, rise, emotionally, spiritually, everything in my life rises and falls on time alone with God. So we're going to talk this weekend about, about why it's so important to carve out this time to be alone with God. But then over the next two weekends, we're not going to talk about it personally and daily. We're going to talk about what it looks like to pursue God's presence together. 
Because when we gather here in these weekend times, what we call gather times, or in your group time when you get together with small groups, in both of those experiences, what we're really trying to see happen is that we come together as the people of God and we experience the presence of God together. That's really what we pray every weekend when we gather in this building. Not that the sermon comes out just right or every note's hit just right or that all the lighting happens just right or all the volunteers are exactly where they're supposed to. We, we, we try to get all that stuff right, but here's the bottom line. The bottom line when we come together is we need to be in the presence of God. We can say everything just right and sing everything just right, but if God doesn't show up, we're wasting our time. We need the presence of God. And so we're going to take a couple of weekends and talk about what it looks like to pursue the presence of God together as the people of God. But I want to begin this morning. Take your Bible if you have it. Open it to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. James is writing to us here about this idea of pursuing God daily. James chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse number 8. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, we're going to put these verses up here on the screen so that you can follow along with us as we read. James chapter 4 and verse 8, listen to what he says. Draw near to God. And, this is beautiful, He will draw near to you. Amen. Isn't that good news this morning? Hey, you draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves. In the presence of the Lord, and He will exalt you. Out of those three verses this morning, I want to ask and answer two very simple questions. We're going to spend the bulk of our time on the first question. Here it is What does it mean to draw near to God? If we're talking about pursuing God's presence, if we're talking about James calls it drawing near to God, what does that mean? But when you hear the phrase, draw near to God, what, what does it make you think of? What, what comes to mind? Because that phrase for a lot of different people means it, it kind of can, can create a lot of different emotions. Some people hear the phrase, draw near to God, and what they think is, ooh, that sounds really spiritual, right? That's something really, or, or it's very mysterious, draw near to God. Some people hear the phrase, draw near to God, and it's intimidating because they think, who, who am I? To draw near to God. Or some people hear this and they think it's wonderful because you've been walking with God and you've experienced the nearness of God and you've enjoyed the presence of God and you hear this invitation, draw near to God, and it's wonderful to you. But other people hear it and it's terrifying because they are walking through some stuff in their life and they think, man, the presence of God, if I go there right now, it could be lightning bolts. I don't know if I need to go there right now. So what does it mean when he says draw near to God? Well, let's unpack that a little bit. The phrase draw near is a phrase that was borrowed from everyday common language here in James' time. And it simply means what you think it means. It means to come close to or to approach, to come near. And it's describing what he's inviting us to is to approach God personally in an attitude of personal worship. It's an invitation for us to come into the presence of God. 
One Greek scholar says about this that this is a phrase that marks those who long to come into the closest possible relationship with God. And don't miss this. It's not a suggestion that James is laying on the table for us to consider. It's an imperative, which means it's a command. Meaning that we're not given the option as believers of drawing near to God, but we are literally commanded. James says, draw near to God. Now remember about commands in Scripture. Whenever you read the Bible and you see a command and God says, don't do something, what he's saying is what? Don't hurt yourself. When God says, do something, what he's literally saying is, help yourself. Because God created life. God created everything we can see, taste, touch, feel, or smell. God spoke the universe into existence. He knows best how it works. And so when God says, don't do this, he's not trying to rob us of all the joy and the pleasure that's out there. No, he's saying, don't hurt yourself. When God says, you need to do this, he's not heaping command. He's he's inviting us into the best possible life we can experience. And the command here of Scripture, James says, draw near to God. Get in the presence of God. Why? Because the psalmist said it. The nearness of God is my what? Good. It's the best, best possible place we can be. So let me give it to you in a statement. Here's the reality of what drawing near to God means. Drawing near to God means time spent alone daily enjoying the presence of God. I want you to read it with me out loud off the screen. You ready? One, two, three. Drawing near to God means time spent alone daily enjoying the presence of God. You and I have been commanded in Scripture to do this, to carve out time. And the way he uses this phrase, draw near, it's not in that you hear me often talk about the present active tense in the Greek language, which means ongoing continuous action, which if that's what he said here, he would be talking about us living with a constant awareness of the presence of God, always knowing that God is with us and that God is in us and that we can always, but that's not the tense that he uses here. It is true that we're to live with a constant awareness of the presence of God, but the tense that he's using here describes an action in time, meaning James is here commanding every one of us with every day that we're given to carve out a specific segment of that day, a specific amount of time. And the exclusive purpose for that time is to enjoy the presence of God. Now, maybe you're thinking, the presence of God, I, I don't know that I'm worthy to be in the presence of God. Well, here's the good news. Left to ourself, none of us are. None of us are. You're not alone in that. As a matter of fact, the Bible teaches us that we've all sinned against God. And because of our sin, you're right. None of us ever deserve for a moment to be invited into the presence of God. Our sin condemns us and separates us from God. But get this. God loved us so much. That he, and he created us for fellowship with himself, that he didn't let us stay there. God sent his son into the world. Jesus, God, took on humanity and became a man. And Jesus did for us what we could not do on our own. He lived a sinless life, and he perfectly fulfilled the law of God. And then Jesus took his body, and he offered it on a cross for our sin. On the cross, 
Jesus died. You say, why did he die? He took all of your sin and he took all of my sin, all of my unrighteousness, all of my ungodliness, all of my wickedness, every act, every action, every attitude. And on the cross, Jesus took it all on himself and he he allowed the, the Father to pour out his wrath against sin on the Son and Jesus died for your sin and for my sin. He died paying the penalty for our sin. But he didn't stay dead. Amen? On Sunday morning, Jesus rose again from the dead as a testimony that God had accepted his sacrifice for our sins so that now you and I, because of Jesus, can be forgiven of our sin and be invited into the very presence of God. Meaning this, God now no longer sees me as a sinner trying to do the best I can. God now sees me clothed in the very righteousness of Jesus, meaning this. God sees me as righteous as Jesus himself. Do I earn that? No. (laughs) Do I deserve that? No. That's grace. The grace of God and Christ has made it possible for you and I to now not be seen as sinners doing our best, but as righteous as Jesus him. Jesus took all of our sin so that we could be clothed in his righteousness. And here's the conclusion. Hebrews writes it this way. Therefore, let us, what does it say? Draw near with, what's this word? Wait a minute, wait a minute. With what? Say it again. He said now we can draw near with confidence. Draw near where? To the throne. Here's what that means. You and I, because of Jesus, can now boldly walk into the very throne room of God himself. Why? To receive mercy and find grace to help. Because of Jesus, we've been invited into the presence of God. And here's what James says. Because of that, you and I should carve out time every day for simply being alone with God. We should carve out this time. Now... As we begin to do this, there are two major components that James addresses here. What does it look like to draw near to God? Two major components. Now, there are other aspects of what it looks like to draw near to God, but they really fall under these two categories. Here's the first one. When you and I begin to draw near to God, there is an awareness of God. An awareness of God. Notice when James gives us the command what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, read your Bible every day. No, what did he say? Draw near to God. You say, but don't we read the Bible in order to draw? Yes, we do. But here's what we're, if we're not careful, we begin to substitute checking off the list, I've read my Bible today, for spending time with God. James didn't say, Pray. He said, draw near to God. He didn't say fast. He didn't say meditate. What, are, what is the word and prayer and meditation and fasting? What, those are all disciplines through which we can draw near to God and enjoy his presence. But what we, if we're not careful in the church, we substitute time with God for simply going through the motions and checking off the list to say, well, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I'm good today, when the real aim of all of those things is to be used to usher us into the presence of God. And as we utilize those things to be 
ushered into the presence of God, then we, we begin to experience this, this awareness of who God is. That's why James in verse 10 says, he says, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord. That phrase, in the presence of, it's a unique, in the Greek language, it's just one word. It's a compound word that puts two words together. Here are the two words that in the presence of literally are, in and face. Here's what he's describing. Because of the grace of Jesus, you and I have been invited through the word, through prayer, through fasting, through meditation. You and I have been invited daily to carve out time in our schedule where we get to sit face to face with God. Wow. God invites us to sit with Him daily. We've been invited to commune with Him, to have conversation with Him, to be in His presence, not just go through the motions. It's why for me, in my God time daily, I try to begin it this way. I don't, I'm not perfect at it. I miss days. But here's the way I try to. I did it this morning. Before I open the Bible, before I open a devotional book, before I turn on any worship music, before I do anything else, I usually start with something like this. Lord, more than I need anything else today, I, I need you. And Lord, if I'm not careful, I'm going to get caught up in... Doing this, doing this, doing this, doing this, and I'm going to miss why I'm sitting here. So, Lord, through these tools that you've given me, God, would you give me the grace today to hear from you if you desire to say anything at all to me today? Why do I do that? Because it's not about going through the motions of a God time or quiet time. It's about being in the presence of God. And sometimes for me, I just need to start by faith, acknowledging that he's here and that the greatest need that I have is to be there. And listen, that's not new. That's not a new thing in 2018. Listen to what my mentor Clyde Cranford wrote in his book. Look what he said. For centuries... Those who have truly sought to know God intimately have found it imperative to set aside time in each day to focus their attention and affection on Him. As we spend devotional time in the Word and in prayer, God, look at this, God is pleased to commune with us and to reveal more of who He is little by little. You hear what He said? For centuries. This isn't new. We didn't come up with this. James, in the first century, over 2,000 years ago, James said, hey, draw near to God. Carve out some time every day for simply being alone in the presence of God. And here's what James says happens. Look at verse 10. He says, when we do this, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord. I think it's actually better translated, be humbled, because this is not an active verb. It's a passive verb. Meaning the subject is receiving the action. And if you think about it, you really can't humble yourself anyway, right? I mean, if you think you've done it, you probably haven't. Let that sink in for a minute. 
Humble yourself. Well, I've done that. <laughs> Maybe not. It's literally be humbled. Here's the point. As we set aside time every day to enjoy the presence of God, here's what's going to happen. We will become overwhelmed with the greatness and the glory and the majesty and the splendor and the power of who He is. And the only thing we can do in response to the greatness of who He is is worship. We're aware of Him as we sit in His presence. So it leads me to a question. Do you set aside time daily to be wowed by the greatness of God? What we're talking about this morning is not rushing into and out of a quiet time. What we're talking about this morning is not grabbing a devotional thought off the internet as you run out for the day. Now, don't misunderstand me. I, I get it. There are times when the schedule, there are times when I get up late, there are times when the demands of a day, all I got is a quick grab something and, and do the best I can. But here's what James is saying. Let that be the exception, not the norm. Let the norm be that your day is built around carving out time to be alone in the presence of God. And again, he commanded us to do it. Why? Because it's best for us. And we know it, right? I mean, I think all of us would say, I know that's the best thing. Then why do we struggle so much to do it? Let me tell you why. Because the enemy knows the deal. He doesn't care what we do as long as we don't be in the presence of God. Why? Because everything changes in the presence of God. A.W. Tozer impacted my life greatly in a lot of books that he's written, but here's one of the quotes out of one of the books that he wrote. Listen to this. The man who would truly know God must give time to him. Say that word out loud. Here's what that means. You can't microwave this. There's no shortcut. You ever been around somebody and thought, man, I wish my walk with God was like their walk with God. You may tell almost every time the difference. You meet somebody who's walked with God, convicts, challenges, inspires you. And let me tell you what that always is. It's the overflow of time set aside to be in the presence of God. There's no end around. And listen, if we'll do this, it'll change our life. The psalmist said it. The nearness of God is my good. It's the best. It's best. And I'm not telling you today, I'm not telling you today that, because I know there are preachers who are going to do this. It happens every year. First, They'll stand up in a pulpit like this all over our seat and all over the country, and they'll say things like this. 
Ah, 2018 is going to be the best year you've ever experienced. If you'll just grab a hold of it by faith, 2018 is going to be awesome. Here's the problem with that. I don't know. I don't know what 2018. For some of you, 2018 is going to be awesome. For others of you, 2018, the wheels are going to come off. It's true. Being a Christian does not mean you're immune from hardship or difficulty or challenge or obstacle. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But here's what I'm telling you. Whether you're on the mountaintop or in the valley, the presence of God changes everything. I can promise you that whatever you face this year, whatever you walk through, whether it's joy or heartache, the presence of God will see you through it. So we must be about time alone in the presence of God. The first aspect is this idea of an awareness of God. We just become overwhelmed with who he is. But then there's a second aspect. There's brokenness before God. Verse 9 <laughs> James opens in verse 8 and he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And then in verse 9, he says some unusual things. Look what he says. Be miserable. Mourn. And weep. There's the verse you want as your screensaver, right? Be miserable. Mourn. Weep. He goes, let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. There's a memory verse everybody wants this week. What's he talking about? He's just invited us into the presence of God. He's just told us to draw near to God. And then he says, when you do, you're going to be miserable. <laughs> Here's what he's talking about. When you and I come into the presence of God and we see him for who he is, through his word, through meditation, through psalms, we get a glimpse of the glory and the greatness and the wonder of God. Here's what happens. He begins to show us the things in us that aren't yet like him. You see, when Jesus saved you and when he saved me, he saved us. We're now seen as righteous as the Son of God himself, positionally, but practically He's working out that righteousness in our lives. Practically, day by day, he's conforming us to the image of Jesus. And so as you and I begin to behold his glory and we get into his presence, here's what happens. He begins to show us those things in us that are not like him. And here's what happens. It breaks us. There's a brokenness that looks like misery, mourning, and weeping. And it leads us to moments of fresh surrender to him. Some people wonder. I've even had people ask me, why, why is there so much sin in the church in America? Well, it's not a commitment problem or an obedience problem. Let me tell you what it is. It's a brokenness problem. And it's evidence that we don't sit long in the presence of God. You know, the greatest thing that happened to the church in America today, really the church all over the world, but really in America because we've so short-circuited and microwaved everything into a little process, the greatest thing that could happen is an awakening to us sitting long in the presence of God because everything changes in the presence of God. There's brokenness, and we begin to surrender, 
areas of our heart that have become hardened. That's why Andy Stanley said it this way in his book, Louder Than Words. Look at this quote. He said, when what grieves God no longer grieves you, your heart is hard. When what bothers God doesn't bother you anymore, your heart is hard. And here's the reality. We live in a culture, all of us do, we live in a culture, in a world today, that is moving away from the things of God. And if we don't linger long in the presence of God, here's what happens. Our heart becomes hard to the things of God, and we wind up walking right where everybody else is walking. But when you and I linger long in the presence of God, here's what happens. God begins to break our heart for what breaks His. And it starts in our own life. And there's a, a tenderness that begins to be cultivated, an intimacy with God that creates in us a desire to want Him to conform us to His image. There's a, there's a tenderness to the voice of the Holy Spirit, to the direction of God in our lives, to Him speaking. But when we're not long in the presence of God, we miss that. We miss that. This idea of brokenness leads to surrender in two ways. It's first of all an outward surrender. That's why he says in verse 8, cleanse your hands, O you sinners. The word hands speaks to action. It's the outward expression. It's behavior. The word sinner is a word that means to miss the mark. He's describing when we get into the presence of God and God begins to show us all the actions, all the behaviors, all the practices that, that aren't in line with who he is, then our response is brokenness, but, but immediately we should surrender those things back over to him. It's the same picture of what happened in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah experienced this. Look at Isaiah chapter 6. Look at it up here on the screen. Isaiah knew what it was to get in the presence of God and be changed. Listen to what the Bible says. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord. What is he talking about? Isaiah and the nation of Israel had just been through a national tragedy. One of the greatest kings in their history had just died. And with his death, they thought all hope was lost. In the year of King Uzziah, in, in the year of King Uzziah, look what he said. I saw the Lord sitting on the throne. Here's what he said. Hey, when a king died, I saw the king sitting on the throne of the universe. And Isaiah says, man, when I came into his presence, look what he says. He was lofty and exalted with the train of his robe filling the temple. Then he says, seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew, and one called out to another, and they said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. What's happening? Isaiah has come into the presence of God in the midst of a difficult circumstance, and he's been overwhelmed by the greatness and the majesty and the holiness of God. Look what it goes on to say. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out. While the temple was filling with smoke, then Isaiah, then I said, woe is me. What is that? It's a brokenness. After beholding the glory and the holiness and the majesty of God, after having been in the presence of God, Isaiah is broken and he says, woe is me. For I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Isaiah was so overwhelmed by the presence of God, he started confessing sin that wasn't even his. 
Lord, I'm messed up and so are they. What does he say? For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And as we begin to carve out time to daily be alone with God, and we behold the glory of who He is, we are moved to worship, but then we get broken over all the things in us that are not like who He is, and we get to that point of surrender and yielding those actions, those but it goes deeper than just what's on the outside. James went on to say, not just on the outside, James said, and purify your hearts, you double-minded It's not just the hands, but it's the heart. It's the attitudes, the behaviors, the the, the desires, the wants, the wishes, the lusts. When we get alone with God, God doesn't just deal with a few outward actions and reactions and behaviors, but God begins to deal with the very motives of our heart. But you don't ever get there if you don't behold Him. You don't sit in his presence and be brought to a place of awe over who he is. Then when we get to that place of brokenness, what do we do with all that? Let me give you three words. Number one, confess. You're in the presence of God and begin to see him for who he is and he begins to show you stuff in you that doesn't look like him. Here's the temptation of the flesh. We want to justify, we want to explain it. We want to say why, but here's the Bible word, just confess it. What does that mean? Just agree with God. You're right. God and I'm wrong. That's why the writer of Proverbs said, He who confesses or he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. In the presence of God, when God begins to put his finger on those things in your life, don't, don't try to explain it. Don't try to just, just get on it. God, you're right. I'm wrong. Then there's a second word, confess, but then renounce. Say, what does that mean? It means to, to declare your abandonment of that. It's, it's, it's the idea of what Paul wrote about in Romans 6 when he said this, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey it. So it. This means this, sin is actively fighting to rule and reign through my flesh and your flesh. And it, it begins to win the battle. Sometimes we're not even aware of it until we get in the presence of God. And we're overwhelmed by the greatness and the glory of God. And God begins to show us that in us that didn't like him. And in that moment, we say, God, you're right and I'm wrong. And Lord, even though that may be who I used to be, by faith, I claim that is no longer who I am in Christ. And God, that's not the way I want to live anymore. And then here's the third word, embrace. Embrace what? Embrace God's forgiveness. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we get into his presence and we begin to see that in us, it's not like him. Remember, he already sees us as righteous as his son. And he's working in us that conformity to the image of Jesus. And he'll point out those things, not to condemn us, but to convict us so we can surrender those things and embrace the forgiveness that is already ours in Christ. So confess, renounce. Embrace. That's what it looks like to draw near to God. To come into his presence. Behold his glory. And then respond in worship and brokenness and surrender. And here's the second, last question. I'm done with this. What happens? What happens when I draw near to God? 
Remember where we started? Draw near to God. And He will draw near to you. Aren't you glad he didn't say he might draw near to you? Now, here's what he said. When you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. And don't forget, the nearness of God is our good. Why? Because everything changes in the presence of God. You have His promise. Now, let me say this about it. It doesn't mean you'll always feel it. Some people hear a talk like this and they think, something's wrong with me because I'm trying to spend time with God, but the way you describe it, it sounds like there are going to be angels around the top of my room and they're going to be shouting down the hallelujah chorus and I'm going to have tingling up and down my spine and there's going to be tears and emotion. No, listen, sometimes, sometimes, sometimes when you go into the presence of God, you feel it. But there are other times when it's as dry as it can be. Transparent as I can be. There are times in my God time when I say this to God, God, it feels like today you are a million miles away. But by faith, I lay hold of your promise that even though I don't feel it, if I draw near to you, here's what I know right now, God, you are drawing near to me. And you just stay there long enough, and eventually, it may take days, weeks, sometimes months. I go through months sometimes in my life where my God time is not emotional. It's just dry. But here's what happens. Feelings, they'll always follow faith. They'll catch up. Faith's the engine. Feelings are the caboose, the train. The caboose is ultimately going to go where the engine went. It'll catch up. But you just by faith, God, even though I don't feel it, I know that you're near because you said you would be. I'm reading a book, or I just finished a book, actually. I, I love Andrew Murray. Andrew Murray is one of my favorite authors. and uh, He's with the Lord now in heaven, but his books are still living on and impacting my life in so many ways. I just finished this one called The Masters in Dwelling. I actually finished it for the second time. But in this little book, he's writing about this idea of the nearness of God and, and time with God. And listen to what he says, and I'll close with this. He said, every morning when God wakes you, you need to put your heart, your life, your house, and your business into the hands of Jesus. Wait on him. If need be in silence or in prayer, until he gives you the assurance, my child, for today, all is safe. 
I take charge. And morning by morning, He will renew the blessing. Morning by morning, you will go out from your quiet time in consciousness that today I've had fellowship with my King. And it's all right. Jesus has taken charge. And so day by day, you can have grace to leave all in the hands of Jesus. That's drawing near to God. And that is the greatest thing you can do in 2018. Let's pray. Father, this morning, Lord, as we bow in this moment of just silence and stillness before you, God, we ask that your Holy Spirit, beyond the words of a sermon right now, that your Holy Spirit would speak. God, that your presence would so fill this place that we would hear from you, that we would respond to you in worship, that we would surrender to you in brokenness. As you sit this morning, as we bring this to a close, just a moment, we're going to have some pastors up here at the front, and we're going to sing a song of worship. It's not a time to slip out early. It's a time for us to respond to God in worship, to enjoy His presence. But maybe you're here today, and you don't know this Jesus. You don't, you don't understand forgiveness and being God's child like what, we, what I've talked about. I want you to know that today you can know Him. You can experience forgiveness. You can have a relationship with God. And if you'd like to have that today and you don't have that, when we stand to sing in just a moment, others will be moving around, but we have some pastors here at the front. You come to any one of these pastors today, and here's all you have to say. Just say, I need Jesus. That's it. And we'll have somebody sit down with you and open a Bible and show you how you can begin a relationship with God today, how you can experience forgiveness and fulfillment in Jesus. Just come in just a moment. Just come. All you got to say, I need Jesus. For others of you, our pastors are here. If you want to pray with one of our pastors about something that's on your heart, your job, your health, your family, your relationship, whatever it is, we'd be honored to pray with you. But for the bulk of us today, I want us to really zero in on this idea of carving out time. What is God saying to you about that? What is God putting on your heart about that? What, what do you need to surrender what needs to change to, to give priority to time alone with the Father? When we stand to sing in a moment, these altars are going to be open. You can come. You can be alone with God here. You can turn your seat into an altar. But I want to challenge you to make a fresh surrender. We, we've set aside these 21 days to really capture our hearts. For 21 days, we're going to focus on this. We, we've written... Uh, we've got several components. We've got a God time component. We've written devotionals on our website and on our mobile app. For 21 days, again, the devotional is not the goal. It's to be in the presence of God, but it's a tool that we've written to help you think about these things. You can go there. You can find them. Started on January 1st, but you can jump in right now. There's a group time component. We're challenging everybody to, to connect in a small group, to experience God together. If you're not in a small group, before you leave today, stop by the Next Step Center. Say, hey, I need to get connected in a group, and we'll help you. 
There's a gather time component where we're gathering together in these worship services from now through the weekend of the 21st. We've got some special gather time opportunities. We're asking you to make it a priority as we pursue God daily and together. What's God speaking to you this morning? Father, please have your way. Holy Spirit of God, may your children hear your voice. And may we respond in worship and surrender. We love you, O oh God. We worship you. It's in the name of Jesus we